One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. everybody. Good morning, good morning. So good to see you all. Man, it is good to see you guys. I don't know what y'all are eating. Uh, if you are eating vegetables or what you're eating, but you guys are, are, are shining this morning. You look incredible. Thank you, Chad, for that. Chad feels good. Chad feels good. Hey, well, we are so glad, and I'll just say again, uh, if, you're, if you're not in the room this morning, uh, man, you're missing out. This is a good place to be, but uh, we're so glad that you're joining us in the room or outside of the room this morning, but man, it's good to be uh, together this morning, in church this morning, amen? And uh, I want to say again a special welcome to those of you, maybe you're a guest today, maybe you've come along with a friend uh, a family member, maybe you're watching online. Uh, we're, we are just honored that you would be here with us this morning. And uh, we'd love to know who you are. We'd love to uh, connect with you, share with you things that are coming up in the life of our church. And so all you have to do is go online to our website at ocparkdistrict.com, ocparkdistrict.com. That stands for One Church Park District.com. Fill out the connection card, the digital connection card there. Give us your information, and we will follow up with you. Uh, and if you see anyone limping around the room this morning, it is because they've just returned from the men's retreat, okay? And uh, so I see Joel Montilla limping out. Uh, he he's, he uh, made it back. We, we didn't leave anybody in Tennessee, okay? We brought everybody back. And uh, But like I said, uh, we want to keep you in the loop of what's happening because there's lots of great things coming up. We believe that church is not just an event to attend. It's not just a Sunday thing, whether that's weekly or biweekly. Uh, church is a community. It's a family. And that means that we need to get together. We need to uh, hang out together. We need to have each other in our homes. And so next Sunday, we're going to be doing that with House Church. And uh, who's loving House Church? Yes, we love house church, and so we're going to be doing that next Sunday, and I encourage you, if you're not in a house church, join up next Sunday uh, and be a part of that. And uh, we also have um, the following Sunday, we have a special give day, and I just want to say again, thank you all for your faithfulness uh, in giving and tithes and offerings, and uh, just in your faithfulness in this season in every way. And um, But we have, in two weeks, a special give day. Uh, and if you're new to our church, I don't know that we've ever done something like this before, but we are having a special day where we are asking everybody who's a part of this church to prayerfully consider what God would have you to give towards our Vision Builders Initiative. And what Vision Builders is, is really a group of people that, that are uh, passionate in faith, believing God, to fulfill the vision he's put in our, our heart, to have uh, an open house for this church family. Uh, you know, every family needs a home, and, and I believe every church does too. And we've been uh, a portable church for years. We've, we, we've been in the park. We've been in, I mean, we've, we've been just about everywhere. We've been in, now we've been in offices. We've been online. We've been in homes. But we are so excited to have uh, a home and a place to be. And so, Two weeks from today, we're receiving a special offering, and I, I really want to, again, encourage you to prayerfully consider asking God, what would he have you to give? Now, we're not asking you to give. 
We're asking you to ask God. And uh, I believe this, that when God speaks to you, when God puts something on your heart, how many of you know you can trust him to provide? And we've seen incredible stories. I had somebody tell me a story, and we'll share it with you. Uh, I'll let him share it with you in the future. But I had somebody tell me a story a few weeks ago that after a Sunday in house church, uh, when as we had shared the vision around vision builders, they said, you know, we've heard this for a couple weeks, but they talked to their wife. They said, we've not really decided what, what do we feel like God is calling us to do. They prayed about it, and they came up with a number that they felt like God had put on their heart. And honestly, it was a stretch. It was a big number for them, uh, big, probably a big number for anybody. But they, they also knew that they had some personal bills coming up, and they're going, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. If you've spoken this to us, we're trusting that you're going to do it, but I don't know how. Uh, the next day, they, they made that commitment on a Sunday. On the Monday, uh, the, the guy had been doing some work for a client and had not given him an invoice yet. And he gave him an invoice for the work he had been doing on that Monday. And uh, his client said, I- I'm not sure that I'm going to pay that. He said, well, what are you talking about? He said, I actually want to pay you twice that amount. How many of you know when a client willingly pays you twice the invoice amount? That's miraculous provision, okay? And uh, which that overage number was the exact amount that they had committed to give, okay? And so I just want to tell you, God is going to provide. God is going to supply. Let me say this to you. The money will come. The money will come. And so we're just uh, joining together in faith, believing God for miraculous provision. So I want to encourage you again, come prepared. Uh, Two weeks from today, we're going to receive that offering. Of course, you can give online in the meantime. Just select the Park District Vision Builders designation, and all of that money in entirety will go towards uh, our new building initiative, all right? All right, well, if you have your Bible this morning, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, put it up on the screens. Uh, I'm always an encourager of BYOB, okay? Bring your own Bible. Uh, I just think it's good. Don't take my word for something. Can I, is that okay to say? Does that like discredit me if I say, don't just take my word, check the word, check the Bible. If I'm not lined up with that, don't listen to me, listen to it, okay? Uh, but we really believe that God speaks to us through His Word, and I just love having a Bible. And I, I, I actually like one that doesn't give me notifications while I'm reading. So whatever, you know, pick your pick, pick your, your choice. Oh, wow, I'm treading on toes this morning. All right. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start a new series of messages today that we're calling The Uprising. The Uprising. In fact, Easter Sunday... Uh, was kind of an introductory message as we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I shared with you and everybody that came on Easter Sunday that the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus has been raised to life. If that's all it was, it would be good for Jesus, no bueno for me, okay? But the good news of the gospel is not just that he's been raised to life, but that through his resurrection, we can be raised to life also. We, the, the, the Bible says that we've been raised with Christ. We are seated in heavenly places. And, you know, I'm thankful for that because life just has a way of getting you down. Any, anybody know uh, what I'm talking about? If you 
don't know what I'm talking about. What planet were you on for the last 13 months? Life, the world we live in, can just bring us down. Uh, but, but I believe that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, fills us with great expectation, fills us with, with positive expectation, fills us with excitement, with joy, with belief that regardless of where I'm at, regardless of the problems that I find myself in, that God's plan for me is good. That even in a fallen world, I don't have to live down and out. I can live as a, a, an up-and-comer. Amen? Amen? Even in, in this fallen world. And um, really, that's the, the story of the Old Testament. And, and we're going to look at this book of Nehemiah, which is a book in the Old Testament. And uh, the story of the Old Testament, I'll just give you a little backstory in case you're unfamiliar with the story of the Bible. The story of the Old Testament is, is primarily centered around God's promise to a group of people, the, the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people. And even as the whole world had fallen under sin and brokenness, God chose a man and he said to this man, Abram, he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Now, let me tell you this, Abram didn't do anything to deserve God's blessing. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a person even at that point who would be considered religious other than he was just a pagan, okay? But God chose him and he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to bring your family into a land where I'm going to bless them so much that all of the world is going to see this blessing. He said, Abram, lift up your eyes. I love that. Lift up your eyes. Look up. He said, you see the stars in the sky, so shall your descendants be. And, and I believe that when the good news of the gospel comes into our hearts, it always lifts our head up. It always lifts our vision up. It always lifts us beyond our natural circumstances into the purposes of God. All of God's purposes have an upward direction, or as the Apostle Paul said, an upward calling. And, and so that was kind of the 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 theme of the Old Testament. And I'd love to tell you that the whole direction of the Old Testament was just like a rocket. It just shot up at that point. But if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know it's more like a roller coaster. It, it was filled with ups and downs and twists and turns and, and more downs. <laughs> and um, as this, these children of Israel, these Jewish people who had received this incredible promise from God were perpetually turning away from God turning away from God's plan, God's purpose. Nothing like people today. There's nobody like that today. Everybody today is just rock solid, right? No, I, th I think we all ha have that tendency in ourselves. And that's really where we find the book of Nehemiah. We find the book of Nehemiah perhaps in one of the, following one of the lowest points in the history of Israel. If you know the story of Israel, uh, they had entered into the promised land, they had established the temple, and then they rebelled against God and God uh, allowed the Babylonian Empire to come in to overthrow Jerusalem, to take over Jerusalem and to take many of the people in Jerusalem away from the promised land. And, and so they were people who had been given this promise, but now they find themselves not in the promise, but in the problem. Anybody ever been there? You, you feel like God's given you a promise, but you, you don't find yourself in the promise. You find yourself in some problems, some difficulties. That's where Israel was. And it was in that place that God spoke to them in the book of Jeremiah, 
chapter 29. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I know you may feel like you're in a pit. You may feel like I've forgotten about you. But let me just tell you, the plans I have for you are good. I've not forgotten my plan and my purpose for your life. I've not forgotten my plan and purpose for your family, for your community. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you back to that land. And so we see throughout the Old Testament really three renewal movements leading back to Jerusalem, leading back to this promised land. If you know the Old Testament, and and maybe even if you're familiar with it, I know we all need a little brush up on it occasionally, but the book of Haggai tells the story of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. You're speaking in tongues. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Zerubbabel, I'm sorry. Uh, Zerubbabel is a uh, was a, a, a man that was called by God to lead a renewal movement in Jerusalem. And Zer- under Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the temple. And, and the temple is symbolic of that center of life, that central place. It would be, as it were, our own hearts or the center of our lives. And Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. And then after him, a man named Ezra came. And, and Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, say that, that ten times fast, And then Ezra restored the law. In other words, it wasn't just getting back in the place, but but we need need the word back in people. We need to remember the word of God, the promise of God. And Ezra led in basically uh, national Bible studies. Let's go back to the word. Let's remember what the word of God says. Let's remember the conditions that God has given to us. And then the third comes right after that, and that is Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. And there is a period of time from the time that Israel was taken into captivity or many of the Jews were taken into captivity until Zerubbabel returns to Jerusalem was about 70 years. And then it was about another 70 years before Ezra comes back to Jerusalem. So now as we find Nehemiah, the Jewish people have been away from God's plan and God's purpose for, for almost 150 years. I mean, there was a whole generation of people that this was what they had gotten used to. They had gotten used to their current conditions. And here we find God moving on Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah is an incredible story. As this man, average man, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, But he was called by God and he led the Jewish people back to Jerusalem and in 52 days rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, uh, producing a a spiritual, a moral, a a cultural, a social renewal. And, And I believe that this is one of the most inspirational books in the Bible. It's one of the most inspiring books because this book reveals to us what it looks like when God's people rise in God's power to fulfill God's purpose. And and I believe that today, even as the Jewish people rose up in faith, rose up unwilling to, to just allow the purpose of God to fall into disrepair, I believe that God is moving today on the hearts of people. That God, even out of the the, the pain and the despair and the problems, even out of the all of the you know upheaval that we've experienced over the last twelve or thirteen months, I believe that God is bringing to us to a place 
where we are positioned for an uprising. You know, oftentimes it's not until you hit rock bottom that you're willing to look up. And, and, and I believe that God is wanting to stir our community. What does it look like? What could it look like for us as a community to not just allow the circumstances, the situations, the problems to have the final word, but God, would you rise up in us? Would you get, fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill what you've promised to us? Amen? Amen. Anybody with me? Amen. Well, let's pray together as we get into the Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. God, we ask today that you would move by your Spirit. Lord, even as we have been singing, we need a fresh wind. God, we say today, we need a fresh wind. Lord, I pray for every person in this place, every person that's watching online. God, I pray, Lord, that there would be a, a, a fresh uprising in our hearts, an uprising of faith, an uprising of hope. God, to believe you for better things to come, an uprising of love. God, even as the world is so filled with, with, with chaos and arguing, God, I pray that we would be filled with love. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm going to read the whole, I think, the whole chapter today, but I'm going to pause as I go through. And I'm going to kind of bring out some things that I believe we need to recognize if we're going to experience the uprising that God has for us. So if you're taking notes today, you can call this message, The Uprising Begins. The Uprising Begins. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. That was Jennifer's maiden name, Hekeliah. No, it was actually Hekeliah. It's Finnish, but this is similar, similar, Okay. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, that's November, December time frame, in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So here we find Nehemiah. He is a Jewish man, but he's not in Jerusalem. He has been a part of the group that was taken captive, and now he is living in uh, what was Babylon, was taken over by Persia, and he's living in this foreign land, this foreign kingdom. But for Nehemiah, life was pretty good. It says he was in the citadel. Uh, that means he was in a fortress. He was, we'll find out later, he was the cupbearer to the king. He lived in the king's palace. That, that doesn't mean that he was kind of the, you know, the, the, the wine server for the king, but he was a, an assistant to the king. He's in this place of great comfort, great prosperity. Life was good for Nehemiah. But then there's a group of men that come from Jerusalem, and it says, I, I asked them, what's the condition? What's happening in Jerusalem? What are things like? And in fact, Nehemiah may have actually never even been in Jerusalem up until this point. He, have, he may have grown up his whole life outside of Jerusalem. And, and he says, what's the condition? In verse 3, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I love to hear a good report. I, I like to be around positive people. I, I like to be around people. You know, there's some people that are the, 
the, the Debbie Downers, they always look for the problem. They always look, you know, the, if the sun's shining, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, it's too bright. If it's not, if it's raining, they're talking about it's cloudy. All of the problems. And I don't believe that God wants any of us to be that way. But there's also a moment where we need the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We need to hear the reality of what's happening. We, we need to have a sober assessment of the condition. And, and that's, what was the, the, that's what was happening here for Nehemiah. He was away from Jerusalem, but he said, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? What, what's happening? What are the conditions that are happening in Jerusalem? And, and I think it's a powerful thing for every one of us to recognize that even though Nehemiah was in a place of comfort, he was still willing to be concerned with the condition of others. He wasn't content just to say, well, life is good for me. I'm living in the king's palace. I'm eating the king's food. Life is good. Not my problem in Jerusalem. He, he says, what's happening in Jerusalem? What's happening in Jerusalem? What's the condition of Jerusalem? And I, I want you to notice what was happening in Jerusalem. The Bible says this. The, the response was given that the people who are left in Jerusalem, this little remnant of people, this people who have been called by God to fill the earth, this people who have been anointed and appointed by God to be a blessed people that would demonstrate and would manifest the blessing of God to all the world. Now, the Bible says, they're in great distress and reproach. They are, they are hurting. There is pain. There is suffering. The reality is that's the, that's the condition of the world that we live in today. I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for the good news of Jesus. But it, the good news of Jesus isn't very good until we see the backdrop of the pain and suffering in our world. The good news of Jesus is there's no compelling passion in it until we recognize the reality of the brokenness of our world. And the Bible says this, this people that are loved by God and called by God now are living in reproach. They're living in reproach. They're in distress. They're crying out. And I believe that if we're going to experience the uprising that God wants us to have, individually, the uprising that God wants us to have as a church, the uprising that God wants us to have in our city and in our nation. I, I believe the first thing that we need to do is we have to recognize the condition of the world around us. We've got to be willing to recognize the condition. How easy would it have been for Nehemiah to, to just not ask the question, to just not care enough to ask? Perhaps Nehemiah had heard many times before what was happening in Jerusalem and maybe it would have been more convenient for Nehemiah to just pretend like there wasn't a problem. But Nehemiah cared enough to ask. He was willing to recognize the condition of the people. And the truth is today that you don't have to be a prophet to look around the world to see the condition even of God's people, the church across the world, you don't have to be a prophet to recognize things aren't looking good. 
I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. I'm I'm not trying to to be a negative Nancy or a Debbie Downer. Forgive me if your name's Nancy or Debbie. We love you. (laughs) But we need to be willing as God's people to care enough to not just live for our own comfort, but to be willing to care about our brothers and sisters around the world. And even those that are not yet our brothers and sisters, we need to be willing to recognize the condition. And this is true across the world. I mean, he says they're in distress. They're in reproach. In other words, these people that should have been spoken well of around the world, these people that everybody around the world should have been saying, wow, those people are so blessed, I just want to be around them. Now those people that should be revealing the goodness of God are now in reproach. My friends, you don't have to look very hard to see that the church in America has fallen into reproach. The church in America has fallen into reproach. A cultural commentator said that of of this COVID pandemic that for the first time in the history of Christianity, this pandemic is the first pandemic that the church has not been at the forefront of leading the response to it. Rather than leading the response, we've been arguing about our positions and preferences over it. And we've fallen into reproach. Jesus said this, they'll know us by our love for one another. And I've got to tell you, when the world looks at the church today, they don't go, that's a loving group of people. They go, whatever you've got, keep it to yourself. I don't want what you have. Uh, Keep it to yourself. That's true on every side of the spectrum. We've fallen into reproach. The Bible, the the scripture says, or the response that was given to Nehemiah was that the walls are broken down. Not only are the people a reproach, but now the walls are broken down. What is a wall? A wall is a a barrier that is, or a, a boundary marker that distinguishes and defends. A, a, a wall is a boundary marker that distinguishes or defends. And if we read the whole book of Nehemiah, but we don't talk about what's the purpose of the wall, we miss out on everything else. You see, the wall was this, was this enclosure around Jerusalem that distinguished Jerusalem from the rest of the world. That, that said, this is, this is not like every other place in the world. Every other place practices immorality. Every other place throws away babies. Every other place doesn't care about the poor and the needy. In every other place, there's a lack of justice, but this is a different place. This is a different place. This is distinct from the world around us, and we're marking it with a boundary. And I know when we talk about a wall in our minds today, everybody's going political, okay? And let me tell you, regardless of your political perspective, this isn't about politics. Walls matter. If you don't believe me, or maybe I should say it this way, not walls, boundaries matter. I like to say to our kids, there's blessing in boundaries. There's blessing in boundaries. Uh, How many of you checked your door before you went to sleep last night? How many of you checked it again just to be sure? (laughs) Why? Not because we're trying to keep people out, but because we're saying this is a different place. 
this is a different place. So think about it this way. Your skin is a boundary to your body. Okay? Uh, that's not a bad thing. It's just distinguishing and defending. And if there is no boundary, there is no distinction between that place and this place, and there is no defense. In other words, everything that comes towards me enters into me. There is no defense against it. If you had no skin, you'd be sick all the time, right? It's the boundary that distinguishes and defends. That's why the Bible says it this way in Proverbs 25, verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So, so the issue is not just a physical barrier. The issue is, a, is the boundary that is being set by that. And what God is saying is that I, I want you to be a people who is distinguished from every other people on the earth. I, I want you to be distinct from everybody else on the earth. And now the... The wall is broken down. Now there is no distinguishing line between the people of God and every other person in the world. They're just like everybody else. Is that true or is that relevant to our world today? Could it be said today that the church has lost its wall? I'm not talking about keeping people out. I'm saying we're distinct. We're not like the world. We're God's people. We do things God's way. But rather than the, the resilience of boundaries we have in the name of relevance allowed the distinction between us as the church and the world to be broken down. Perhaps we could even say we've broken down the wall. It couldn't be said that the church has tried to become just like the world in attempts of getting the world to come to us. If we can become just like the world, then, then why would the world need us? Now, I'm no old fuddy-duddy. I'm no fundamentalist. I'm no, you know, you've got to look a certain way. You've got no... no Makeup, although I'm not wearing any this morning, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, maybe I need a little, I don't know. I'm not saying that we've got to be legalistic. In fact, the, the New Testament says it's love that is our distinguishing characteristic. But we've become no different. And, and I believe this, that in this day and age, when the world, when the church has become so much like the world, that there is no difference, I believe that we need to become resilient more than relevant. We need to be resilient. We, we need to be people that have rule and boundaries in our lives that distinguish us from the world around us. Even over the last year, how many, how, how many accounts have we seen of influential Christians falling in a way that is no different than the world around us? And I'm not sitting in judgment of them. I'm saying, God, help us. God, help us. The wall's broken down. For the first time in the history of America, there are fewer people that are connected to church than, than are not connected. The majority of people are disconnected from church for the first time in history. 
Over the last 20 years, church attendance, this is pre-COVID, church attendance declined by 20% in 20 years to the lowest ever church involvement, or, or not even just Christian church, but, but involvement in any type of faith activity is now at the lowest in the history of America at 47%. 47%. At that rate, and again, I'm not trying to be a negativity spreader, but at that rate, the, if we continue at that trajectory, the church in America has less than 50 years until there is no church. Now, I'm not here to say that as bad news. I'm, I'm just giving you the reality of our condition. The, the church in America has prized growth above everything else. And I want to grow. We want to grow. We want to reach more people. But ask any oncologist, not everything that grows is good. And so we've said, let's do anything we can just to get people in. We'll become just like people. Let, let's dumb down the gospel. Let, let's kind of hide the Holy Spirit. Let's not talk about discipleship. As long as you just show up and, and, and give some money and serve once in a while, I don't care if there's any Christ-like character. You sleep with whoever you want to. You talk however you want to. You act however you want to. And let me say this. We're no better I'm not saying that pointing the finger. I'm talking about the church. A recent article in a secular magazine by an author and commentator named Ben Sixsmith in his article titled The Sad Irony of Celebrity Preachers said this, I'm not religious. Sorry, I don't have this on the screen. I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle in values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. If there isn't a prophetic indictment of the church, if that is not, I don't know what is. He's saying, you guys are trying to be like us. Why would we want to become like you? I, I'm, why, why am I saying this? I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm saying we're under reproach. The walls are broken down. We can no longer be content to just come to church and fill a seat. And not give, not give a, a care. I didn't use the word I wanted to say. I'm trying to be distinct and different. We've got boundaries. We've got to stop playing church. We've got to stop living just for our own comfort. While the world around us is dying in despair. And we are living in the place as if Nehemiah could have, I don't really care about you as long as I'm comfortable. As long as I get a little pick-me-up now and then, as long as things are going well for me, could it be that God has allowed the coronavirus as an exile to pull us out of our comfort zone? 
to get us out of complacency, to get us out of me, myself, and I spirituality. To bring us to the place like Nehemiah was, that he saw the condition. And what did he do? The second thing I want you to see is he sat down and wept. Not only do we need to, number one, recognize the condition, the second thing I believe that we have to do if we're going to experience the uprising renewal of God in the church is the second thing we have to do is release the cry. Release the cry. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He goes on to say, Please let your ears be attentive. I can't read. My eyes are teary. Verse 6, he says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. Notice what Nehemiah does. He hears, he hears the report. The city's broken down. The people are in despair and reproach. And he doesn't shrug it off. He allows the burden to come on him. He, he allows it he, to, to release a cry from his heart. The Bible says he sat down and wept. He sat down and wept. Now, I know that there's sometimes where we just go through religious motion and we just have religious tradition and we just have a certain minor chord progression, I guess it is, that kind of makes it feel a little, ooh, sad. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that strikes our hearts to the place that it brings us to our knees before God. And there's a cry that comes out of our hearts. Oh, God, you have to move. Oh, God, you've got to show up. Oh, God, I'm not content to allow the world to stay in the place that it's in. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, you know, it's a political problem. It's the king's fault. He'll engage politically later. And he doesn't say, well, it's the fault of the people in Jerusalem. Notice what he says. We have sinned against you. We have sinned against you. My father's house and I have sinned against you. And I know this is not the normal tone of messages that we may hear, but I believe that we need to recognize afresh our own need for God. We, we need to recognize afresh our own brokenness. Rather than pointing fingers at the world around us, we need to bow our knees before God and say, Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I've acted corrupt, uh, corruptly. I've sinned against you. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Goes on to say the sorrow of the world produces death. So there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow just beats you down, but godly sorrow clears away the rubble, clears away the, 
the things that clutter our life. Let me tell you this, sometimes we need to weep before the Lord. Johannes brought a powerful message about joy last week, and I was going, is there, am I speaking this message undermining or contradicting what he just said? And I, I don't believe so at all. In fact, later in Nehemiah, they say the joy of the Lord is our strength. But you won't have the joy of the Lord if you don't have the Lord. It's not the joy of, uh, of just circumstances. It's the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes. There's a time to weep. Have we wept over the condition of our own hearts? Have we wept over the condition of our neighborhood? And I'm speaking to myself. As I was preparing this message, I'm saying, Lord, search me, try me. God, forgive me. I've been more concerned about what people think about me than what you think about me. God, forgive me if I've done anything to quench you. God, forgive me. What's he doing? He's clearing away the old. Anybody that's ever done a renovation will tell you this. You can't build the new until you break down the old. You've got to break down before you can build up. Let me say it this way. Before you can rise up, you've got to bow down. You've got to bow down. God help us if we think we can rise up in our own strength, our own effort. And Nehemiah, he's going to stand up boldly as a leader. He's going to speak and cast the vision. He's going to pitch his vision to the people of Israel. He's going to pitch his vision to the king. He's going to create a great plan, but before his plan and his pitch, he starts with prayer. He starts with prayer. And I believe it's a beautiful picture of the, 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 the recognition of God's sovereignty in our lives. Nehemiah wasn't passive. He didn't just go, well, God, I'm just going to sit here and pray. He, he bowed down and prayed, and then he stood up and went to work. But he first started in prayer. He started in prayer. And I believe even part of the reason we're clearing away some of the musicianship. I love that, but I just feel like God's saying, clear away a little of the clutter. Clear away some of the things, not so that we just break down, but so that we have a, a clean slate to build up. And so not only did Nehemiah recognize the condition, but the second thing, he, he released the cry. God, we've acted corruptly against you. My father's house and I, and then he goes on to say, the end of verse 7, we've not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. In verse 8, then he says this, remember, I pray the word. I love that phrase, I pray the word. I pray the word. I see the world, I see the problems, but God, I'm, I'm not going to get stuck on the problems. I'm going to look at your word and I'm going to pray the word. You see, he's, as he's releasing the cry, he's entering into the place of what the Bible calls intercession. Intercession is when you see a problem, and it may not even be your problem, but you'll say, I'm going to take that problem as my problem, and I'm going to be willing to stand between the problem and the promise to bring the two together to bring the promise into the place of the problem. And he says, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, 
I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from the from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. The third thing that Nehemiah did is Nehemiah remembered the covenant. Not only did he recognize the condition and release the cry, if we stopped right there, this would be a pretty bad story. But even as he was in that place, he remembered the covenant. He remembered what God had said. He remembered what Jeremiah had prophesied that though you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, I've not forgotten about you. I've got good plans for you. And it says this in verse 5, he said, you're the one who keeps your covenant. You keep your covenant. And he is remembering the covenant of God. He's remembering the goodness of God. You see again and again throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people being unfaithful. But even in the middle of that, God is perpetually faithful to us. And if all it was is see the problems and cry, we'd be no different than the world around us. The world around us sees the problems. The world around us even cries out for justice, even cries out for oftentimes the things that we as the church should be crying out for. But they have no basis for action apart from their own need. But the Bible says this, that you're the one who keeps the covenant. Remember the covenant. Remember the covenant. God said, I'm going to bring you back to that land. Jeremiah 31 verse 4 says this, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. And here Nehemiah is in the brokenness and Jerusalem is in the brokenness. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that he goes back and surveys the territory and he begins to make a plan. But before he's making the plan, he's taking God at his promise. God, you said you would bring us back. You said you would rebuild us. You said in Joel chapter 2 verse 25 that the years that the locusts have eaten, you will restore. You feel like 2020 was the year that was a waste, a year that's gone away, but I'm glad to tell you that God is a redeemer. God is a restorer. God can take the very thing that seems like a loss and bring it back to such a place that you may look back and you may say that was the turnaround year for my life. God, thank you for 2020. God, thank you for what you did because it was out of that place I cried out. I remembered the covenant. I remembered your goodness. Then you showed up on my behalf. And I'm glad to tell you even better than the covenant that, that Nehemiah had. The Bible says that we have a better covenant through Jesus Christ. We have a better promise through Jesus. That's why Jesus said this, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life to the full. The Apostle Paul says it this way, that we've been raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I love what Romans 5.17 says, that if by one man's offense death reigns through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, I just realized I've got my dad's mannerisms, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's part of life. 
will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Though by one man's offense, death, despair, brokenness, pain, and suffering has entered into the world, much more those who receive the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, will reign in life. That's the covenant that we have. That's the covenant that we have. I believe today that God wants us to respond to this word. We're going to talk about this whole book of Nehemiah, and it's filled with incredible, inspirational things. We're going to see the vision that was birthed out of that place of burden. When Nehemiah saw the world, he saw what? He saw the pain, but God gave him a vision of what could be and should be, and he rises up and he leads Israel in an uprising that changed the world and prepared the way of the Lord to come. I believe that God, even today, is looking for people who will recognize the condition, that will release the cry, God, you got to show up on our behalf. Remember the covenant, God, you've said. God, you've said. Kendall, you can come back up. God, you've said. And Lord, even though we see the problems, even though we see the pain, God, we're going to stand on your word. We're going to stand on your word. I want to ask you, if you would, just to stand up.